On this week's episode, we all have to eat a little shaving cream. scary podcast to tell in the dark dear listeners i am john charles and i'm barbara dieselman and we are here today to talk about horror movies uh this is a new podcast to us starting up uh you know we're a couple of artists good old time friends and we love talking horror whenever we see each other irl we always end up just talking shop about spook em ups and murderers and such yeah, getting, getting those good spooks injected into us. So we figured this show would be a great way to kind of bring those spooks to your home. Uh, we want to just kind of explore horror in a light and casual and accessible way, a way that's kind of fun for uh, fans of horror, casual fans of horror, uh, folks who might be a little too anxious to get into horror, but still have a morbid, morbid curiosity about what it's kind of like, whatever. We want this to be like a fun, open space, just kind of talk about whatever awesome horror movies, games, comic books, uh, gumball wrappers, just whatever we find in the street, find in a dumpster, somebody has a box, a wet box on the curb that says used, and there's a spooky bloody knife in there, whatever. <laughs> uh, but uh, let's, we're going to kick it off, just start a little bit casual, here's some fireside chat. Uh, Barb, have you, uh, you been, uh, have you been playing, watching anything good lately, especially anything horror related? Um, as far as horror-related stuff goes, um, well, I haven't, aside from obviously this week's movie, um, I haven't been able to uh, consume a lot, though um, I have started on some early, early pre-production for a short film, which are, is going to be, I don't, not horror explicitly, but it's going to be horror-adjacent. Ooh, sounds nice. So, that, so that's been gearing up. But um, aside from that, not a whole lot. How about you, my dude? Uh, oh, I've really got going on. Uh, I really, I, I feel like I've had so little time this week. But uh, I did have a little bit of time over the weekend to start up like the first like I don't know three, four hours of The Last of Us Part Two, and um, I'm I'm enjoying it so far. I I think I'm just starting to get to the more intense and actually like um, quote unquote horror e parts of that game. But a lot of that game has been. My favorite part of Night Dog Games, which is to say, walking around and talking to really <laughs> charming people. But of course, I know that charm is going to only be followed up with like intense, just, like just dread and worry for those same people. Just awful murder. <laughs> and I'm it. Even just like murdering zombies in that game is already an ordeal. Does, they don't. Does hold the back Last of Us Two still have beard sense? Um, beard sense. Yeah. So where, where everything goes dark, you sense things with your beard. Oh, uh, I mean, Ellie has, like, has, like, Batman vision. She can see audio. <laughs> and she, I, think she, I think she can also see what dogs smell. What what body horror is going on in this movie, girl? <laughs> what the fuck? I mean, she's, she's immune, so maybe those genetics give her just the ability to smell what dogs smell. <laughs> that, 
I'm I'm a god all I'm a god all limit. I'm gonna say that would suck. I would not want to have the the human brain wiring of the brain and the nose wiring of a dog. Nope. No, no, you, you don't. You don't smell. You don't smell like. Okay, it's not like you're smelling the things a dog is smelling. So like, if a dog's rooting through your garbage, you can smell yesterday's like banana peels. It, it's more like. Oh, the dog can smell that I'm around the corner, so like I guess you just kind of you you can see what the dog is like. What's what smells are getting its attention right there and then. Oh, oh, so it's some weird fucking emotional link bullshit. Yeah, let's go with that. Some real Pacific Rim stuff. You have you, you, <laughs> in the first like hour of the game, you pet a dog, and so that's when you have the uh, neural link activated, and from that point on, uh, Ellie has a secret psychic connection to dogs that she just doesn't realize that she has. You pet a dog for the first time, Idris Elba comes out and tells you that there's a program you need to join, both of you. <laughs> Most people use only 90% of their brains, and the other 10% could be used to sense things that dogs sense. You can use that 10%. <laughs> Christ. Uh, but... Yeah, hopefully that's something we can maybe talk about some more at a, at a later point. Who knows, it can make for a, a fun episode, but um, what, what, what are we actually here to talk about today? Do you want to tee this one up? Yeah, one might say we've got some interesting stuff to talk about. Yeah, I, you know what? I would say <laughs> some, 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 like me, would say that we have some, um, <laughs> have some, uh, uh, some, uh, stuff to talk about today well i don't know about you it's getting hot here getting kind of stuff eat around here wait hold hold, hold hold on yeah what is it oh so, sorry I, I i gotta go i gotta go to the door wait hold on Get, wait I'll, I'll be right back hold, hold on hold on yeah. all right sorry I, I had to get the door um there was a there was a guy <laughs> from pizza hut he he brought me this some uh he, he brought me this uh Stuff the crust pizza. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Enough, enough monkey shit. <laughs> enough we, enough we, monkey shit. Yeah. <laughs> what are we? What are we talking about this week? The mo- the movie that we watched this week is a movie called The Stuff. Um, that is the name, The Stuff, and. You might think that's kind of a weird name. Um, and it's also because it is a weird movie. Oh, it's it's easily one of, like, the weirdest movies I've ever seen. I, I don't think I knew about it before the first time I saw it back in college. And as soon as I started watching it, it, it was one of those movies I was upset that nobody ever told me existed. <laughs> Same. I got introduced to it on a date, actually. A woman I dated introduced it to me. And God damn, it was a good movie. Man, I, I feel like I feel like you got I feel like you got a lot of uh, move. You have a lot of like date memories attached to very specific movies. It's a common date for me. I'm gonna be real here. That's a common move of mine. Watch a horror movie. How did this movie all about just like the rampant dangers of like consumerism and food processing? How'd that go over for like date material? Eh, not too bad. Not too bad. Could have gone worse. I mean, I've watched worse movies on a date. Oh, Lord knows I have as well. Absolutely. <laughs> that... uh, unfortunately, Grave of the Fireflies on that list. Whoops. Uh, I think my uh, 
my my lowest date night movie moment was um taking a date to a Halloween party where we then watched um Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror, which I think <laughs> about like two thirds of the way through, um she left the house that we were in and this was somebody I was probably had I was probably seeing for maybe about like a couple of weeks. That was literally the last time I ever saw her. <laughs> <laughs> never saw her again, never talked to her again. I just kind of figured like I don't know why, but I think this was, I think, I, th- this is probably, probably for the best that she just, like, left and walked out of my life. Like, this is probably for the best. <laughs> oh, no, I, I've had that happen before. Yeah, so, like, um, if you've never seen this movie before, like, what, what would you say is the most striking thing as, to, at, like, if you can remember the first time you saw, what was the thing that, like, struck you the most? Um, I mean, the first time I saw it, I think what struck me the most about it was just, like, how... The, I wouldn't call the acting, like, uh, bad, but it's, like, it fits in that perfect little level that's, like, it's a little bit higher than, like, David Cage-quality acting, and it fits, honestly, tonally, this movie fits exactly in the exact same place that um, Troll 2 inhabits in my brain, where it's, like, it's this very, like community theater players kind of feeling to it where it's like it's not that people are overacting but it's that the characters they're acting as make no sense and they're too good at acting out these weird nonsensical characters that's a really good way to put it because yeah like that they're not putting in poor performances nor would i even really call the writing bad but it's it is a unique unique vibe like once i mean the best example of this i feel is our pro tag i don't know uh of uh mo rutherford holy shit oh my god i know when i first watched the movie that mo rutherford was the character who stuck out to me the most immediately because one holy shit that accent and two he's just like usually these kind of like usually these kind of like schlock horror movies, um, monster mash type flicks tend to have like a an everyman for mm-hmm. the protag, but I really don't feel like I would call Mo Rutherford an everyman. He feels just a smidge more specific than that. If that makes sense. I mean, this time I was watching it, I kind of picked up on the fact that I'm pretty sure this movie is supposed to be set in Virginia because they talk about, what was that place? It's like Stanton or something where um, yep, they said that the stuff was was tested. And in a couple of the shots, you can see people reading the Richmond Times Dispatch. And I was I actually curious because like, like, I'm, I'm from Virginia. So I was like, holy shit, was the stuff like filmed in my neighborhood? And I looked it up and it was like, no, nah, this movie was all filmed in New York. And then like I resumed the movie and like... There's just like a there's just like a panning shot down the street and you see a bunch of cars and then looking at every single license plate it's like oh no yeah those are definitely yellow New York license plates this <laughs> is not Virginia and this this looks like New York it does not look like Virginia but I I think that's the thing about about Mo Rutherford as a character because like that's that's where that David Caginess comes in because the first time I saw it I was like okay this guy feels like a child's interpretation of what a um, of what corporate espionage professional in that realm would sound like. But then I realized, like, oh, he's supposed to kind of sound like a Southern idiot. Like, that's his thing. Like, he's, like, supposed to sound like this, oh, like, he this has a beautiful boy. He has a beautiful line, like, a legitimately amazing line relating to that. And that's that, and I quote, No one is as dumb as I've been. 
Oh yeah, that, that's like that's like part of how we're like introduced yeah. to this character. I, I think I think my favorite yeah. thing about uh, my favorite thing about this guy is that he strictly adheres to the cowboy code and never takes off his cowboy boots. <laughs> <laughs> like we see many shots of him like going around town, sleeping, lying in airplanes, just like he is never like he legit goes to bed wearing his three foot long like brown leather cowboy boots. He does not take them off. But um. Kind of backpedaling to the acting a little bit. Um, one thing, I, like I said, I did a little bit of research about this film before, um, you know, signing on for tonight. And one thing that I came across was the fact when Cohen was directing this movie, a lot of the dialogue, like a surprising amount of dialogue, was actually improvised. That explains a lot. <laughs> Especially Michael Moriarty, who played Mo Robin. Which uh, I'd like to point out too. I was doing a little bit of research this morning too, and um, uh, Michael Moriarty was like on about like two and a half, maybe three or four seasons of Law and Order, and I'm just kind of like, <laughs> I want to, like, I was like, I want to go back. And, oh my uh, watch god, the Law I, and want Orders Mo, with this I want Mo Rutherford on Law and Order. Holy shit! Like it's it's been a long time because like I've had like friends and family members who are the type to just like leave Law and Order on while I'm in a room, and it's been so long since I've seen Law and Order, and I'm just kind of like, I want to see it just to see this dude in a serious hard <laughs> cop drama. I want to see that now. I feel I feel like I can't take him seriously. Like, it's part because of the character he was playing, but also, that baby face. He's got that fucking baby face going on. He does. I can't take this man seriously, but that's so perfect for the character of Mo Rutherford. He's like a six foot tall, like fifteen year old. <laughs> I, I'd go more for like a like a thirteen year old, like even just a smidge younger. But yeah, this he's got a, such a baby face. Well, here I, I want I want to dig into this. So like, let's kind of like run through the plot a little bit and kind of like give folks a bit more of like some background on what's going on in this movie. So like. Mm-hmm. So the stuff is a movie from uh, 1984, directed and written by uh, Larry Cohen. Um, he actually didn't really intend for it to be a horror film because, like, the studio asked him for a horror film, and he made something that was closer to like a satire. So, like, as he put it, um, he it was more just a Larry Cohen movie. Yeah, he he he's not quite like trauma level, but he's like maybe like a step above trauma so it's like that's that's the kind of guy you're like talking about like those are the kind of movies you're looking at and like there's elements of horror in this and like it's and you know it's already afraid of the dark rules like this is not explicitly a scary story but if you were living it you would be scared <laughs> it's it's got it's got like little moments here and there of some like i wouldn't call it once again wouldn't call it a horror but i would call it some decent body horror at some point so like if that's your thing if you like body horror this movie actually does deliver on that on a few scenes yeah like once every like 20 minutes you just get to see like a face or a dog just get like contorted like just john carpenter's the thing style i i I really want to talk about like this opening scene right so like Mm -hmm. the movie opens up anytime there's credits in this movie they go by fast like they do not waste any time it's like and the kirby superstar credits here they just go lightning fast and the movie opens up in like this quarry in the middle of the winter it Honestly, it feels a lot like the thing, just like being out at the outpost, outpost seventeen or whatever. It's even got a dog. <laughs> There's this <laughs> old guy. He has some sort of blue collared worker, um, a miner perhaps, and uh, he's out inspecting the snow. And what should he find except for a belching hole of warm white liquid? 
goo even? It just looks like a puddle of cum, guys. I'm sorry. This looks like a big just magma hot puddle of cum. It's it's upsetting to say the least. And he he gives it a good look and he he, he kind of jams his hand in it like some sort of human Winnie the Pooh. And he <laughs> lifts he lifts the stuff to his face, sniffs it. And he licks it, and he kind of starts eating it some, and like some of his coworkers come out, and they're like, "What are you doing out there?" It's like, "Are you are you are you eating snow?" And he's like, "No, I'm not eating snow. It's this stuff." It's like, I, "Do you want to try some?" It's like, "I don't I eat like snow." I like the way they said the way they said that with so much accusation, as though this man has just been lounging on the job eating snow on more than one occasion. Like he yeah. still does it. Yeah, like, there's definitely been, like, a seminar at this factory about, like, now, we know some of y'all like to go outside on your breaks and eat the snow. You can't do that. You can't eat that snow. It's tempting. It looks delicious. It's made out of water. But you can't eat it. Don't eat that snow. It's company snow. Can't eat it. That's, if you eat that snow, it comes out of your salary. You can't eat that snow. (laughs) He starts eating this stuff, and he lets his friend taste it by... Letting his friend lick it off his hands, which hey, I'm not judging. If these are these are two men who are very close, they're friendly. They're close enough that they're willing to lick uh, ground liquid <laughs> off each other's hands. Whatever, ground it's cum. cool. Just just 20... say ground cum. We all know what it is. It's, it's, it's 2020. I'm open minded. What one of my my favorite detail in that whole just eating and licking scene <laughs> is um. This guy is a messy eater, and it gets, like, all over his lips. Like, he is he is not <laughs> licking his lips to clean them. His, he's just got that goo on his lips. And he's talking through it, and it's... You're just like, oh, please, just lick him off. Please, just lick it off. Like, think of what you see in your brain when you think about a cartoon character eating spaghetti and what their face looks like, and that's what this dude's face looks like. <laughs> Except this is spaghetti, he's got the titular, the stuff on his hands. Like, they, they come to the conclusion that, hey, there's so much of this stuff, and it's so GD delicious, we could sell it. We could just put it up from the ground, and we could sell it. And so that's the setup for this movie. You, there's this stuff, this, this stuff, that's being sold and marketed to people, and it just comes out of a hole in the ground. It's not actually food, it's just the stuff. It is, it, it is not explained at all in this movie. Like, if you're going in, and at any point you're like, explain what this stuff is you're gonna be disappointed they don't explain it at all and that's actually something personally i like because i think that gives the movie a little more focus because you don't you actually don't gotta know what the stuff is because all you have you have to know is that one it's not man-made and two um there you know it's being sold to you by corporate to make a lot a lot of money and three this shit'll kill you. Oh yeah, like Larry Cohen has definitely said on record in many places that like his big inspiration for the stuff is. I mean, you, you, yeah, you gotta think about the time this movie was made in the mid '80s. So that's a lot of when you start getting like um, the government cracking down on like um, what goes in food, what can go on food nutrition labels. When there's a ton of like scares about like drugs being recalled and food being recalled and candy being recalled and like razor and blades smoking. and apples and stuff. Don't forget, like, in the 80s was really when um, anti-smoking legislation came about. And Cohen said himself that um, a major inspiration on his part, um, besides advertising for food and snacks, was also the way that cigarettes were advertised before anti-smoking legislation started. Oh, yeah. Where it was like, hey, you just finished a session at the gym? Have a smoke. You know what? Have to. And you, and you see that in the stuff because um, this little kid's family, 
Do you remember that kid's name, by the way? His name is Jason. His name is Jason. Jason! Um, so Jason's family, um, you actually hear some of those themes kind of echoed in them where they are, his family are getting obsessed with the stuff. They want to eat it more and more. And when they're trying to tempt little Jason to eat this stuff, they're talking about how, you know, oh, it tastes so good and z- zero calories. Oh, yeah, it's like, I'm, I, I've lost five pounds eating this stuff this week. <laughs> Considering what that does. Um or even as something as silly as, like, when Jason s- spilled it in order to, like, stop his family from eating it, and his mother was cleaning it up off of the countertop. She was worried that it was going to stain, but didn't notice. No, not, not stain. It was going to spot. No spots. It leaves no spots. Yeah, it, le- it leaves no spots. Like, just, in every, it was, they sounded like, um, they sounded like advertising. They spoke like advertising. Later, they even note, when, like, when they are just completely lost in the sauce and have gone full fucking they live on Jason. Mm-hmm. Jason even notes like, hey, mom, why are you talking like you're in a commercial? As long as we're talking about this opening scene where, like, Jason, like, is, like, seeing his family starting to get, like, taken over by the stuff, because, like, we, we this movie has two heroes, a kid named Jason and this, like, this, this spy named uh, Rutherford, no, uh, the, the no Rutherford. David Moe Rutherford, and we'll we'll get to him in a second. But I want to talk about Jason because one of my favorite things about Jason is that for like the first half of this movie, a lot of the first half of this movie is him going like total like um, silent green and telling people like this stuff's bad for you. No way, none for me. And people keep offering to him, and his reaction every time is to slap this shit across <laughs> the room. And like there are oh, scenes where you can see this kid; he has the biggest shit eating grin on his face. He's enjoying. <laughs> this and like damn this jason kid is good at slapping shit out of people's hands like i I, and i think you can tell that they realized this when they were filming because then we get that whole scene of i shit you not jason going into a grocery store and just wreaking godzilla tear havoc on yeah just not just like oh there's a little section of the stuff um you know like cups and stuff no he's just Tearing through it, the adults can't stop him. Grown <laughs> men cannot stop Please stop him. praying for Jason. He's getting too strong. It took, no joke, it took three grown men to stop this boy from destroying this goo. Oh yeah, like when he when he's when his family's offering him this this the stuff to eat, he he sees it the night before moving on its own in the fridge. So he's just like, I don't want to eat this stuff. It moves, and like his dad's like, now son, you've been sick for four days, and his dad was like, hey, you you can't keep doing this. Eat your stuff and go to school. And yeah, instead of going to school, Jason just goes to the grocery store and he's just wrecking shit up. He's throwing bins of stuff on the ground he's slapping out of the hands of babies at one point he gets a rake and he's using the blunt end to like smash the freezer doors where they're keeping the stuff he, he is going on a tear through this store it's amazing. i told you he goes full ass godzilla on this place like these fucking stacks there's literally stacks and stacks of the stuff like the stuff comes in containers as you would see like greek yogurt at a grocery store so just imagine stacks and stacks of that literally as taller than a person. And he's going around just shoving them over. Everybody's tripping. It's getting slippy. It's getting wild and wet. It's a messy situation. And it's just the power in this child cannot be matched. And it's like, this, this only, like, as you were, as, as Barbara's pointing out, this only goes to further just, like, 
conflate the concept of what exactly the stuff is because like we're, we're introduced to uh to uh mo rutherford who his name is david but he introduces himself as mo because whenever what is it whenever people offer him money whenever he stuff, gets paid he always wants more yeah, he 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 used that line line on literally everybody he introduces himself to, and the movie opens up with him being like hired by like um, CEOs and lobbyists for the ice cream industry since the stuff has become so addictively popular that it's come to the sales of ice cream. So I I think the closest analog for what the stuff is supposed to be is ice cream. I think it's supposed to be like ice cream, or probably even closer to like frozen yogurt, which is supposed to be kind of like the mysteriously healthier version of ice cream, but like. It's 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 in the grocery store. It's stored in the freezers. It's stored in the fridges, and it's also just stacked up in pyramids, just out in the store. If it's supposed to be a frozen treat, they're definitely not always freezing it. But based on the fact that the ice cream industry is the most concerned with the stuff and the way the stuff is like stored and at least usually kept chilled, I'm led to believe that it's probably kind of like if yogurt and like uh, marshmallow fluff kind of had a baby together, like. That's yeah. that's what it kind of looks like, and that's what they kind of describe it. But it's def it's definitely not a dessert because people just eat it as regular food. Although that part of that might just be raw addiction, because at least um, the we actually do see like branding and commercials for the stuff within the movie. Apparently, um, during production, there were actually more commercials, but those along with a couple other scenes, including some romantic scenes with Mo Rutherford, were in which cut I'm sure he from... didn't take off his cowboy boots. <laughs> Listen, all I'm saying is this man takes this man takes off his pants. There's a third boot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like this movie goes like full RoboCop and just has like um, these fake commercials and like jingles for the stuff. Like we see at least like two jingles for the stuff, and we see like celebrity endorsements. Um, Abe Vigoda is in one of these commercials, which whenever I let my guard down in a movie, Abe Vigoda shows up. So that's that's always comforting, I guess. But um, you know, we were talking about about how like the uh, the uh, ice cream industry was the one that was the most threatened by them, and that it seemed like the stuff was the most analogous to. And you could see even in one of those commercials, um, they weren't directly talking about any specific ice cream company, but they had a commercial where like a woman. And this fancy code was talking about how, like, when I was a little girl, I thought ice cream was my favorite thing. Now I'm all grown up, and I have, and I like something better. And then, you know, she holds up a cup of the stuff, and it goes on into the rest of the brand. So it's like, it's they're obviously at like legit going for this industry's throat. Oh yeah, and I want to add too, and all these commercials, um. I love the stuff logo. The stuff has a great logo. It's a good logo. I'm, I am extremely glad that you noted that too, because I was like, yo, this branding is actually like really authentic feeling. No, I, I have searched for years for just like a good t-shirt, just like a good clean print of the stuff logo. And I, I think I found one on like T public this morning that I'll probably like buy tonight. Cause it's just like, it's got like good, like, just good like chunky 70s typeface and it's like a very like 80s like what would you call that because it's not pastel and it's not neon but it, it's just a very saturated like pink it's and a, violet color it's it's violet pink and here's the twist brown yeah i got a little bit of brown on there for that like 
that 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 wood paneling feel like it's just a it's yeah. just a good strong logo and i guess ironically that's that's one of the things about this movie and the way the stuff is um the way it's like uh portrayed is that one of the evils of the stuff is the fact that like the only reason it's gone as bad as it has is because um it's it's been marketed so heavily and the marketing has been almost too effective which you know you, you brought that back around like that's exactly where it's coming from the roots of like you know like the, the, the cigarette industry and like the way that like fat and sugar has been sold in food as well too like where it's this it's it's sold in as appealing a way as possible to the point that like that marketing just becomes like truth for people instead of just marketing and like i don't know i think that's kind of a little bit where like you start seeing like a little bit of like the horror that holds up in this movie is like that element of like evil can be sold to you <laughs> Yeah, no, I I think it holds up really, really well because that is something that, you know, uh, corporations do. They will, if they can get away with um, putting something, putting something as a filler or what have you just to save money or get more money into a product. To always always get more money. Yeah, to always get more money. um, They will, they'll do it. That's that's why there's a lot of um, that's why there's been so much regulation over the years, not just for um, like not just for cigarettes, but also like there's been regulation against various different kinds of sweeteners, though not mm-hmm. as much as the European Union. Oh yeah, I, I I always like whenever I meet Europeans, they're always just kind of like, yeah, you guys have like so much sugar in your bread. Why do you need sugar in your bread? I don't know. It tastes better without sugar. I'm gonna be real. It really does. It really fucking does. But like, yeah, and and like artificial sugars. Like, <laughs> I'm not gonna get on this too long, but I know that one that I that really blew my mind when I found out about it was like um, the artificial sweeteners in a lot of diet colas is a carcinogen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it can be a. It could be, I mean, pretty much like any chemical, it can be quite hazardous in like large amounts. But you know, the the, the way the, the relationship we have with um, soda in America, it's like a lot of people who are drinking soda are drinking it a lot or too frequently and stuff. So like that is where that stuff definitely becomes a problem. Yeah, majorly. Um, like the older generations have a very different relationship with a lot of products. You know, they they grew up in a time um, where kind of doing your own research about this kind of stuff was significantly more difficult. You know, like there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's the joke of, you know, um, old people don't even drink water. They just drink Diet Coke. I mean, what you're describing literally does just sound like the stuff just because like over the course of the movie, like it just becomes increasingly just more like emphasize that like, because like the, the stuff is basically, it's never explained 100% what the stuff is, what it's doing, and what its goals are. But what's pretty much implied about the stuff is that it is not sentient, but that it is an organism. And I, from what I can kind of gather, and you can let me know if you have a different theory about this, it seems to really just like want to be able to like thrive and propagate within the bodies of organisms. Like it basically can't live on its own, but it can live inside other organisms and once it kind of, like, no longer finds a use for that, like, organism or it it feels threatened, that's when it essentially, like, kills its host and, like, moves on to another body. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, one thing that they mention is that, um, regarding stuff consumption, is that there's different stages. Um, you can eat a little bit of stuff and it's really not going to have an effect. 
and this was probably on purpose on Cohen's part to relate to, you know, actual junk food and shit. Mm. Um, but after a point, like, if you start consuming it a lot, and a lot of people do because it has very, very addictive qualities to it, um, it just tastes good. If you eat a lot of it, eventually you will essentially lose a lot of your personhood. You Like, you will cease to be yourself and you will start to be essentially puppeted by it in you and Mm -hmm. like it's not simply just that oh you you know your brain's controlled it's like you are it is basically like when um his when jason's mom was talking about losing five pounds that is a particularly morbid joke because i think what's being implied there is the stuff hollows you out yeah like those uh like those uh wasps that eat caterpillars Mm-hmm. So, or in like later in the movie, um, Mo Rutherford is fighting off some, um, like gang, country gang members or something. I don't know. I can't I don't remember exactly what they were, but like they were infected by the stuff and obviously deeply infected. And when you so much as punched somebody who was infected by the stuff, they cave in. Like, oh yeah, like it, and not and not just like in a nice clean manner like there it's obvious that whatever flesh is left is like desiccated and is just is only there to keep some kind of structure for the goo within oh yeah like later on in the movie some guy gets his uh legs run over by a truck and instead of his legs just caving in his head explodes as if he was like a tube of toothpaste or a balloon like he's basically empty and it just like blasts it out of him Pretty much, like, a lot of what the first half of this movie is, is, um, Mo Rutherford, like, going from, like, location to location, trying to get more information about, uh, what the stuff is and how it's produced. Um, like, very early on, you know, you're talking about how it takes people over. He, he goes to the home of, um, one of the last remaining, perhaps actually the last surviving, uh, FDA, uh, employee agent who was on the panel that approved the stuff and you can def- like every time he talks to somebody who's involved with the stuff there's an air of like a conspiracy where they they tend to fade ignorance or like they're always kind of like parsing out like what are you asking that for and um i can't tell if this fda guy is already like filled with the stuff because he's very shocked to hear a lot of things where he's just kind of like oh i guess we don't really process it and we don't do this but um he has this uh this uh this like doberman he has like this huge dog and as Moe's asking more questions, the dog just starts freaking out, and it's barking, and it's snarling, and it's just getting, it almost gets, like, uncomfortably hard to hear the dialogue, because the dog's just, just making so much more ruckus. And the FDA guy is scared. Oh, yeah, he, like, he even offers to, like, feed the dog some more stuff to calm him down, and Moe's like, you, you feed your dog that stuff? Which, you know, like we said, Moe basically has, like, the most, like, put upon like southern accent so he's just like the stuff you feed your dog that stuff hmm okay whatever you say and i could listen to mo talk about just stuff all day long i could listen to him talk for hours i love this movie mo leaves and as soon as he leaves we see this we, we catch a glimpse of this dog going mad and and the fda guy is just kind of like please i'll give you anything i'll give you more stuff and the dog we see like a glimpse of the dog's maw just like opening like the jaws of life and we see like stuff emerging but just for like a second just enough that you know that's what's going on this like this movie doesn't have a ton of gore and there's not a whole bunch of these kind of scenes but i don't be real when these little bits of body horror pop up they're striking 
they're really real. Like, it's the it's a type of thing you don't see elsewhere. This is like the specific kind of um, like stretching and stuff you see. It's very, it very much is um, its own thing, and I appreciate that a lot about it. Yeah, whenever it happens, it pretty much looks like when um when a uh... Gina Davis and, and what's his face and uh, Beetlejuice. Um, whenever they when they stretch their face out, like if you pause it like midway through when they're just faces are just like open wide. Like basically, when Gina Davis's face is like um, just like open with the eyes in her mouth, basically like that's what people look like when the stuff starts coming out of them. Like their mouths just like we are not exaggerating. To, like, an ungodly stretchiness and there's like detail on the roof of their mouth where you can see like the rigidness of which I'm pretty sure the mouth doesn't look like, but it's what it feels like when you rub your tongue across the top of your mouth and what your brain imagines when you feel that. You see, I, I interpreted that differently. I thought those were like um, holes in the roof of the mouth, as though the stuff had been, rather than simply going down your throat, it had been um, boring itself into everything else, basically, through your mouth. There's definitely a lot of implication of that with, like, you know, like, these empty husks of people having, like, bloodied eye holes and, like, just, like, like they're, they're, they're husks of people. They're empty. They're just balloons. They're just shells for the stuff to inhabit. Yeah, like, a lot of it's, like, along the, like a lot of it's just, like, Mo going to, like, different places around Virginia and asking people, like, if they have any information about where stuff comes from, if they have any information about the FDA, if they have anything about the supply of stuff where he can get some. And there's, like, a little bit of, like, Manchurian candidate intrigue where, like, there's, like, cars being sent to run him over and stuff and he's he's kind of figuring out he's on the trail of something and along the way he meets two characters um one who just kind of shows up real quick uh chocolate chip charlie chocolate is, chip charlie it's not super clear who chocolate chip charlie is he seems to be like the owner of what was the biggest chocolate what was probably well it seems to be the owner of like a big chocolate chip cookie company which was run out of business by the stuff's popularity and it seems that the stuff that the that the owners of the stuff bought out his like factory and his like property to use that to produce and distribute the stuff so he's already bitter about like hey these guys stole my business and i want if you're looking for information about this i want you to get it for me too mo and by the way they met but they uh mo and charlie met in the movie via a very short but meaningful fight <laughs> fist fight oh yeah in which charlie takes every opportunity to remind us that his uh, fists are registered as lethal weapons with the government god i love chocolate chip charlie i actually note be- noticed on this watch that um chocolate chip charlie was actually introduced technically um much earlier in the movie um during that scene where Mo Rutherford was introduced, and you've got all those other, you know, fat cats sitting around talking about, you know, ice cream business and oh, what are we gonna do about the stuff and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, they mentioned how they were moving, they were go- like they were planning to move in on Chocolate Chip Charlie's company. There's, I mean, like I don't know if that's so much something he was interested in talking about, Larry Cohen, because like. Chocolate Chip Charlie is played by uh, Garrett Morris, who is a who's a who's a black actor, and um, so like there's definitely like a little bit of like this like element of like is the stuff kind of like is like an agent of like gentrification or what's going on here? Like they they take it to an oddly like racial place like 
later for like five seconds and we'll get to that it's in like the last act of the movie every everybody who meets chocolate chip charlie who's not like taken over by the stuff is like immediately smitten with them and they remember him as like a celebrity so like there's definitely this element of like chocolate chip charlie is Children the local guy yeah he, he's the he's the local guy that people love and remember and the stuff is definitely like dangerous corporation <laughs> mo meets chocolate chip charlie and he also meets um a publicist whose name I do not remember. Uh, <laughs> if you wrote it down, that's awesome. I just remember her as the PR lady for the stuff. Um, she, 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 Mo eventually interviews her to get more information about how uh, the stuff is marketed, and she also gets him like a tour of like a uh, stuff factory where like they refuse to show him like the ingredients and stuff. And at some point, they become an item. It's not really clear because at first I was like, did I miss something? And like she was already Mo's girlfriend, and he's visiting her, but it's like. No, somewhere in their adventures, they just, like, hooked up, I guess, and I, I guess that's fine. I'm honestly going to say, like, Larry Cohen mentioned in some interviews that they had to, along with commercials, they also had to cut some kind of intermediary scenes that would have gone into more detail about some things, including their romance, but they cut because they felt like it was slowing things down. And I got to say, this movie is, this is a fast-paced movie it does not waste time um just putzing about it's only 87 minutes and honestly it only drags for like an extended action scenes like right before the final act but other than that like this this movie is snappy like it's very quickly edited scenes don't last that long um sometimes characters talk like a little too fast like it is a very very fast movie a lot of like like we said a lot of the first half of this movie is a lot of like mo just like investigating stuff and this jason kid kind of like moping around but um the movie really picks up with mo and jason meet which is my hands down my favorite scene of this whole movie i think in which um jason's family has been entirely and utterly taken over by the stuff like he comes home and his family's yelling at him for beating up the grocery store and like his brother's like playing like atari on the tv and they they're just kind of like you won't eat your stuff you need to eat your stuff and jason's like oh, i won't eat it it's, it's moving and the dad's like well there's something alive in everything you know like, uh, <laughs> like yogurt's yogurt. made out of bacteria and, and bread has yeast in it and jason's still like putting up a big fight about eating the stuff they send him upstairs with like a big cup of the stuff and they tell him like don't you come down until you've eaten all this stuff yeah and while he's up there um he, does, he basically performs an old switcheroo where he empties the stuff into a toilet and the stuff reveals that it is indeed sentient once again, to some degree, again, because when it is dropped into the toilet, it tries to attack him and then gets flushed, as you would expect from such a thing. Which, that cannot be good for the pies, my dude. Like, um, I've, 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 like I've, like, drained enough, like, oil and fat in my day to know, like, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. And, listen, like, that stuff. JC, you know that mm, one um, Tim and Eric bedtime story? Uh, which one? The, the one about the dude who, um... Apparently masturbated so much that he clogged up the entire neighborhood. Oh yeah, pips. that kid. Yes, I remember now. <laughs> yeah, it's probably like that. I mean, basically, and like 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 Barb said, he he pulls the switcheroo and he fills. At first, I was a little confused by this plan because he fills he fills the entire cup of the stuff with um, this empty cup with shaving cream, and he emerges from the bathroom and he starts eating the shaving cream, and he's like, well. You got me. I tried a spoonful, and now I like it. Mm-mm. And he's eating it. And I'm thinking about it. I'm like, well, why did he just dump the cup, right? 
and either come down with the empty cup or empty that cup and take the shaving cream and just like get it on his 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 mouth like spaghetti style and just be like I ate it like when was it ever necessary for him to eat all this shaving cream? Well, it it doesn't in pan out, but it does kind of make sense because then when they essentially try to get him to eat stuff again for dinner when they bring out that big fucking jello dish just full of stuff and they're like come on let's got more stuff eat it and he's like i'm working on this one right here mom yeah so like i feel like that fits but also like he's at that point like he's sniffed out and i would like to say when the dad goes to try his quote-unquote stuff to check it he does not simply dip the tip of his finger in and try it he he goes to the knuckle and he goes to the knuckle and puts like three goddamn fingers full to the knuckle in his mouth. Just something about that little bit of acting is the funniest shit to me. Just like seriously, I, I can't stress it enough. This dad this dad first of all, this dad has like he he's got he's got hair like Ken in Street Fighter. Like he's like bleach blonde <laughs> and has these jet black eyebrows. And he hates his son. He hates this boy well he has the exact same energy as the dad from troll 2 you know that that guy who's like he's a dentist in real life and he gives the he gives the you can't piss on hospitality speech this dad has the exact same energy as the dad in that movie the family just pretty much goes um they live which honestly this movie also has like it feels a lot like they live as well and so like you know the family is they're like, where once there was family, now only stuff remains. And the family is chasing Jason down the street. Like, he has no choice. Like, this was his, like, final shot. His Hail Mary pass. And as he's running on the street, Mo Rutherford pulls up. And he's like, get in the car. I saw it move, too. And he hops in. Family chases him away. Jason makes his grand escape. And then Jason totally tosses his cookies. <laughs> he throws up over his back seat. And this is my favorite part of this entire freaking movie. And Jason looks at Mo with shame in his eyes. And he says, sorry, mister. I, I threw up in your back seat. I, uh, I ate a lot of shaving cream. And Mo just says, that's okay. We all have to eat shaving cream once in a while. <laughs> God. <It's, laughs> I, that had to have been improvised. And... God, I'm glad that made it in. Just that is such a good fucking line. Mo Mo is just full of good lines. Like he's he's got a bunch of good fucking one-liners, and also like I like with his whole thing about you know I, I always want Mo. You know that quote. I like when he does meet that um, that advertising woman whose name we cannot remember for reasons. Um, <laughs> when he meets her, he uses that line again, but this time it's it's even more obvious that this is something he has, like, practiced and memorized to talk to people. And, I don't know, there's something charming about that. Like, it it paints a picture of who this guy is, and it's a very, very entertaining character. I love it. This this takes us to, like, another of, like, the, probably, like, one of the key, like, set pieces of the whole movie. Um, Mo takes a... Jason to his private jet where he meets the publicist. Uh, I found my notes here. Her name is Nicole, the publicist Nicole. Um, they all board, uh, I get, yeah, I guess Mo has a private jet and it's the most like 1970s like swingers jet I've ever seen. <laughs> it's so brown and it has so much wood paneling, but hey, that's what you're gonna do. I think that's the point where they start like uh, exploring the uh, stuff factory and um, 
they leave Jason behind the plane. He tells the pilot, like, hey, like, if we're not back by the end of the night, like, you you just take him to the next place we're going to go. We'll meet you there. And um, at the end of the night, Nicole and Mo they get a hotel room. I assume this is where some of the romance stuff probably would have come in if it hadn't been cut <laughs> out of the movie. But this is definitely the scene in which we see um, Mo sleeping. Like, he's taken off, like, the rest of his clothes. He's just in his underwear, but he still has on these cowboy boots. <laughs> No, I don't. I don't think that in their underwear. If I remember correctly, they come out of the bed when a certain thing happens. They come out of the bed fully dressed. No, what, what, well, what happens is that I guess the stuff has like tracked them to their hotel room, and uh, Nicole's pillow is full of the stuff, and it starts attacking Mo. And Nicole gets the brilliant idea to pour <laughs> oil on his face and set it on fire, <laughs> which she looks like she immediately regrets, but it does work. Yeah, it works. Um. And then what happens is um, it turns out the entire mattress of the bed was filled with stuff. And it comes out to try to um, tries to attack them, but ends up accidentally getting an innocent, I don't remember, bystander. Um, and I, I think that guy had stuff in him. I, I think it was because like, that guy goes straight for Nicole when he was in the room. I oh, think it was implied right, that right. he yeah. had the stuff and he was trying to like destroy Nicole and Mo in that yeah. moment. So he gets, he gets plastered to the wall, and he gets pushed up the wall. And listen, it's this, it gushes, my dudes. It, you see some gush here. If you, if, you ever get, if you get tired of eyes emojis when you're, um, you know, trying to make it known that you appreciate uh, certain images, uh, find the gem <laughs> of this scene, and I think it'll get the point across well as well. Well, did this scene look familiar? Did this scene look familiar to you in like a different way? Yes, I I was hoping we were gonna get to. That. Yeah, this is actually probably like the coolest part about this movie. So, um, this scene, like, if you watch the scene, you know the uh, the stuff is crawling up the walls. It's being it's spraying onto the walls and going up, and you know you know that's um an effect of sorts. That probably you you know that is not <laughs> what slime tends to do. Um, mm-hmm. And the way this was achieved is um, they used the same room that was used in um, Nightmare on Elm Street for the uh, crawling on the walls scenes, if you, if you remember uh, that one. Like that in the scene where um, Johnny Depp gets like devoured by, in that bed by uh, yeah. Freddy and just like blood gushes out and onto the ceiling there too, like in the exact same way. So that's almost certainly how that scene was done, and I think that's real. Like that was the first thing I thought of when I saw that scene was, oh, they must have done something you know similar to that. And then you know I go and I'm reading about the stuff later, and it's like, yep, they use the same room, and it's like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. all it's right, the exact same room. And I actually saw this long before I saw Nightmare on Elm Street. When I saw Nightmare on Elm Street, really? I was like, oh, this is this is the room from the stuff. Because, like, it is, it is the exact, it's the exact same room. It's, like, lit in the same just, like, sickly 80s way, too. That sickly brown. It is a brown. Wood carpet way. Brown room. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really cool. If you were to look up, like, one scene online, like, this is probably the one to check out that'll, like, show you the most of what this movie has to offer. And um, it's at this point that uh, Mo and Nicole escape. It turns out on the plane, too, there are also agents of stuff on the plane, and um, Jason narrowly escapes. Um, gosh, where does he escape to at this point? I think I think they all go to the stuff factory separately, and Jason has the bright idea to crawl into an empty 
because like the stuff is transported between the factory and the stores in like a gas tanker, and he crawls into the empty gas tanker. I hate that because that kind that kind of thing it um, hits on like it's not horribly like it hits on like my personal claustrophobia. I the idea of like getting locked into something and not being able to get out freaks me the fuck out. So I I saw that and I was just like, oh god, no, no. I, yeah, I think I think just eventually uh, Mo and Nicole find uh, Jason there. Um, this is where there's kind of like a lot of extended like chase scenes. Like I know at some point like Mo gets in a fight with a bunch of like stuff employees. At some point, Jason and Nicole are they're they're like in the factory for the stuff getting chased by it. Actually, I believe I believe it's is it before or after this point? No, I'm thinking the part later when they get to the militia. Um, <laughs> okay. Either way, this is the point where they they steal a truck from the stuff, they get out of there, um, at some point they get pulled over by a cop who sees their hose hanging out from the back, and uh, <laughs> Mo, Mo and Jason are cocky little fucks in this moment, because like, Mo gets out and he's like, you gonna arrest me for indecent exposure? And uh, Jason's like, what are you gonna do to us, cop? And like, Nicole's just kind of like, I do not want to get shot tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like... They, they were flexing for absolutely no fucking reason. They, they managed to escape by, like, tricking the cop and eating, like, stuff that spilled all over the road, and, um... Can I, can I just say one little thing about the, the cop scene before we move on from it? Oh, please do. Um, the way they get rid of the cop, like, at, obviously, they, you already said they distract him with stuff, but, um, the way that the cop is taken out is, you know, you would think, okay, he's, he's on the ground, he's bending over and <laughs> oh, eating, yeah. how are you gonna take him out? And Marothra comes from behind and with the power of Thor himself slaps this man on the back and he is dead. Oh yeah, like it's like it's pretty much like Donkey Kong's down being smashed, but he just does that <laughs> once and gives him like it's like he's giving him like a friendly back massage and this guy is out like a light. Like I did actually notice that and I was like I, if I was this head, I'd believe that, but, like, his back? Oh, really? All right. Like, okay, stuff. Did, didn't even have fists. Just open-handed slap on his shoulders. And he's down. He's he's out. No, Rutherford is just that strong. He he has a, he, he was fired from the FBI. He probably slapped a guy to death. Oh, no! That's who this dude reminds me of. He doesn't remind me of um a freaking, uh, like, a Harry Rain character or something. He reminds me of, um... Agent Francis York Morgan from Daily Premonition. He's basically that dude. <laughs> like, he's basically Francis York Morgan. Oh, he's just, like, always going around, and he's, like, he acts like he's the smartest guy in the room, and you can tell he's seen some shit, and, like, nothing surprises him. Like, he's Agent Francis York Morgan. <laughs> yeah, they they, 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 they drive they drive this truck out to the countryside. Um, they're greeted by a militia that, like, um... That uh, Mo has some like dirt on the leader of this guy. Like at first, I couldn't tell if this was like official army or if they were militia, but they're definitely militia. And then it is at this point that the 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 the, the colonel Colonel Spears starts well, hitting on Nicole pretty hard. It's what what. First of all, this whole sequence was kind of when I started to lose lose track of what was going on for the next like ten or so minutes. Oh, same um, here. It. They definitely could have used just a smidge more of, like, explanations going on. But it's not bad by any means. But, um, no, I think it was, like, I think I think it was, like, they were going to, you started hit, hitting on Nicole, and Mo was like, hold on, it's, you know, she's with me. 
and and the uh, colonel was was basically saying, "Nah, we're sending you out there to get killed." <laughs> this colonel's just like an absolute like right wing wing right wing wing nut because like he's he's Straight basically up. always hitting on Nicole, always trying to sneak in a kiss in a really creepy way. He brags about the fact that nobody likes him because he's too he's too beautiful, too strong, <laughs> and too smart, and people don't like people like that, and they actually like people who are weak like Mo. And he also owns like um like a pirate radio station in like Atlanta where he just broadcasts like his own crazy ramblings. Like that was definitely the point where he was pretty sure this guy was like a militia man when he started talking about his radio station. He 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 was a pro he was a proto Alex Jones. He just takes his militia and they they storm they storm the uh, the stuff factory. And this is the part where like they have like an entire raid on it. Um, Jason and Nicole run away from like a wave of the stuff, which um. I read, too, that apparently anytime there was, like, a shot of the stuff chasing people, it was made out of fish bones and smelled horrible. And then as soon as the camera was, like, pulled off of them, they would just run to the river and bathe the stench off of them. Oh, <laughs> man. That bones. Yeah, like, there's, there's apparently, like, a ton of different types of stuff. Like, there's this, like, fish bone stuff. Um, there's stuff that's, like, um, fire hydrant. Not fire hydrant. Fire extinguisher foam. Like, there's all sorts of different types of stuff, but... When it was chasing them, it was the fishbone stuff that just, like, stank to high hell. And um, I gotta give him credit, and I bet you this is probably a call on Nicole's part, and not so much Larry Cohen. When she escapes from the factory from the stuff, she has just given up and has taken off her heels at this point, and it's like, <laughs> absolutely. I do not know a single woman who would not have taken off her heels at this point in the story. Mm-hmm. Since the colonel's been pretty much, like, shown firsthand the effect of the stuff, uh, they go back to Atlanta so that um, they can give a... Uh, they can give, like, a, a radio uh, show about, like, hey, this is the stuff. This is what it's doing. Um, they're going to put the publicist on air. She's going to, like, atone for her sins and admit that she's the one who came up with the effective campaign to sell people on the stuff. They get there. They march it to, their, they march it to uh, Colonel Spears' radio station. They scare a shitload of people in the street because they get in a taxis and they're immediately like, oh, my God, they have guns. And it's just kind of like... Yeah, they, they have the guns like... sticking out, like, barrel first out of the windows. And I just... And I feel like that had to be, like, a gag because it was so fucking on the nose. I mean, in 1985, it feels like a gag. In 2020, it's just kind of like, oh yeah, it's just like a Tuesday for the Proud Boys, pretty much. All right. But I guess, like, I guess the real joke here, too, is, like, um, because, like, they they all take taxis to get to this radio station, and they get out, and, uh, Colonel Spears just kind of like, men, all right, remember, we're gonna pay these taxi drivers, tip 10%, and make sure they get out of here safely, and it's like, oh, wow, even a scumbag like him knows to actually tip. I guess he's not that bad, but... That is quickly proven to be uh, false praise when they get to the radio station. And um, Chocolate Charlie shows up and he immediately goes just like full on like to kill a mockingbird on this guy. And he's just kind of like, mm, if he gets on, I don't, I don't want it. I don't want him talking on my station. If, if he gets on there and he starts spouting some pinko nonsense or secret code, I will kill him. And it's just kind of like. All right, I I didn't I didn't need the stuff to go here, but I guess it did for like ten seconds. <laughs> it was fucking out of nowhere. It was just for a second. It wasn't long. I, I I think the point of Colonel Spears is just to be like such. He's he's the I think he's objectively the silliest character in the movie. So I think it was the kind of thing where like when he's on screen, just like everything's supposed to be just like an over the top kind of joke. But that just kind of like that just kind of read as like a weird hard left turn and like. It doesn't really go anywhere because in the very next scene, Chocolate Chip Charlie takes Nicole aside to, like, warn her that, like, hey, 
uh, the stuff like takes people over, eats it from the inside out. Trust me, I know. And Nicole's like, what do you mean you know? And Chuck Charlie's like, and Nicole's just like, wait, what's going on? Chuck Chip Charlie, Chuck Chip Charlie. And that's when like Chuck Chip Charlie's head just like bends backwards and we get the clearest shot of like the stuff just eating somebody from the inside out right here. Yeah, like there's a lot of really good gifs of that shot on the internet. And it's, it's pretty gruesome. He gets like, it's a really good um, face model that they stretch it with for some of those shots. Like it is, like it, it is some Beetlejuice shit. And it, just a mixture of like, because they have like, it's clear they have like three or four different kind of like these plaster heads for Chocolate Chip Charlie, and just to see the stuff like blasting out of it, like this is generally probably the most like disturbing um, kill in the movie, just because it's the clearest shot we have of somebody's body literally being torn apart by the stuff itself. Just, like, any other time we've seen this, the cuts have been fairly quick of, like, seeing the stuff emerge from somebody's mouth, or, like, we'll see it kind of, like, leaving and kind of, like, a bit of, like, an ooze, almost kind of like a slug. But this straight up is just kind of, like, the stuff is a being inside of Chocolate Chip Charlie, and it's it's wearing him like a, like a suit of skin, and it's just Superman tearing its way out right now, basically. <laughs> And, you know, it's also horrifying because, like, this was a character, like, Chocolate Chip Charlie has a lot of charisma. He is a, he has a lot of screen presence. You like the character. You want him to stick around. So then seeing this happen to him, of all people, it actually is a bit of a surprise when it happens. And his fists were registered as lethal weapons. At this point, uh, Mo like, leaps to the window of this room and sets the stuff on fire. And I, I think at some point, too... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, like, Jason wandered in here, so they have to rescue Jason as well. But um, the broadcast does go out without a hitch. Even though, like, there was this massive fire at the radio station, they still get the broadcast out. And um, this is honestly the most surprising turn in the movie for me because, like... You know, if this is a, in other movies, in other movies about similar, like, subjects where it's like, oh, hey, there's an evil substance, it's been exposed to the public and we got to get rid of it. Um, there's usually, like, a lot of, like, uh, persuasion that has to happen, you know, like, the Soylent Green is people, or, like, you know, like, stop doing this, you guys have to listen to me, like, basically, the scene that happens at the beginning with this kid running through the grocery store and tearing stuff up in an attempt to warn people in a different movie would have happened at this point, but instead of the stuff, people take this as, they, they turn on the stuff almost immediately, they like, there is in no the argument to be made. Yeah, they're like they're like building they're like they're like pyres of it in the streets. They're burning the stuff. They're tearing it off the shelves. People are enthusiastically like getting rid of the stuff. Um, they're warning people. It's like if you have the stuff in your home, you have to throw it away. Stop eating it. If your family member has like become addicted to the stuff, take it to a hospital immediately. If you have it, you have to cook it. Which I was just kind of like, wouldn't that just make people want to eat it more? But you know what? You guys do you. You got this figured out. And like like. I feel like, in general, the movie has its uh, finger on the pulse of this kind of stuff pretty well, but this was actually the one little bit where I was just like, hmm, after various current events, I'm not sure if that's how it would go about. Because you know if there was a fucking a stuff IRL, there would be some fucking group of chuds being like, no, only soy boys don't eat the fucking the stuff real men eat this we're not gonna we're not gonna be cucked by the government and not eat <laughs> the fucking not eat this delicious goo <laughs> give me my fucking man goo <laughs> it'd be re it would be rebranded as man goo 
Oh, you know, you know, like if the stuff was around, it absolutely would be like a gamer grub thing. It'd be like, <laughs> oh, it gets all your nutrients and it won't get under control. <laughs> This is this is this is where like uh, it's actually where like the final twist of the movie comes in as we see like you know like a a broadcast of um, Nicole saying like oh people turn this stuff immediately and it's basically been outlawed now and stuff or whatever and the TV turns off and it turns out it's in the office of the CEO of the the stuff company and um, Mo Rutherford shows up and he's just kind of like I know who you are I know what you're doing and uh, out from the other room steps out one of the um, ice cream uh, fat cats from the start of the movie and just kind of like hey we've teamed up and uh, we've created a new product since we can't sell the stuff anymore it's called uh, the, the taste. taste it's 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 85% frozen yogurt and 12% the stuff so it's just barely enough to not actually infect anybody, but it's still enough to be addictive, and it's going to make us millions. This is when uh, Mo draws a gun on them, and he's, they're just kind of like, what are you going to do with that? And then um, he calls in Jason, who is just like, just full-on Sarah Connor at this point. He comes yeah. in in like a badass, like, black leather jacket. He is, like, the, the, the joy is gone from his eyes. He is just... This is no longer a child. This is... Absolutely. And Mo was just kind of like, this is my friend Jason. And uh, you see, the stuff took his family, took his parents, took his brother. I'm all he's got. So it's like, holy shit, Jason went hard. Like he, Jason got hard. J- Jason fucking um, aided in a, in a double murder. Yeah, like he, he comes in with this big box of um, some of the last remaining bins of the stuff and... Um, Mo forces these two businessmen to eat it. And he's like, if you guys want to sell this stuff so badly, you eat it. And um, they start reluctantly eating it. And of course, the stuff is crazy addictive. So they start like speeding up and they actually start enjoying it. And um, Mo and Jason are just watching. And um, Mo gets in this last line of the movie. Well, it's like second to last line of the movie. And he just looks him in the face and just goes, I can't tell. Are you eating it? Or is it eating you? God, it's a good line! <laughs> we can basically assume that these CEOs have just been like the police are coming to arrest them, but it's like those guys are not making it to the car. Like basically, the stuff is just gonna try to have like self preservation and just like break out of their husks and just like leave them behind. If it don't happen here, it's gonna happen in the clink. Like these guys are basically as good as dead at this point. And it's it's not quite a stinger because it was before the credits, but like one last little just tiny tiny scene that the movie ends on, and I really like it because it is. Oh, I love this. Oh, is um, we cut to a completely different scene, completely different people. We're in a seedy part of town. It's late at night. A car uh, comes up on a corner and out come some guys. Then they approach this dude in like a, you know, one of the, one of those really seedy type of um, trench coats. You know, like it's it's really clear some sort of deals going down here. Yeah, like it, it, it's hitting on all the a drug dealer kind of imagery you would think of. They open up at the back of the car, they bring out a box, and this guy, this seedy guy, he opens it up, and what is inside? It's a whole bunch of tubs of the stuff. And he opens one, and you know, he, he dips his finger in it to test it. And he's like, and he doesn't even say anything. I don't, I don't think he actually said a lot. I think he just kind of gave a quick little nod, and then boom, credits. Yeah, it's it's cr- it's crazy because like the the movie like freeze frames on this uh this stuffed drug dealer looking directly in the camera and um it reminds me so much of like the final shot of um the taking of Pelham one two three when um 
when Walter Matthew like sticks his head back in because he's caught the the last like heist robber at the end, and he just looks at him, and the movie just freezes and hangs there long enough for you to just get in like your hell yeah cheer and just like this this look of disgust on Walter Matthew's face before it cuts the credits, and this movie it freezes on this guy's face, and maybe about like mm, 0.28 seconds later, boom. Cut to credits. No pacing at all. It just goes straight to it. This movie is out of here. It drops the mic. That was the stuff. What a ride. I love that ending so much because, like, I, I feel like that does, like, it explores the idea, like, one step further than I feel like most movies would have done. Like, it's, okay, saying that, uh, that you know, corporations are going to, pull shit on people and be evil is one thing you know everybody everybody agrees on that but like i like how it does go that extra step and like into like um even when you know there's something that comes around and fixes these things oftentimes um it can lead it leads to further exploitation simply because it has been introduced Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the selling of stuff in this post-stuff world has absolutely become a very much a white-collar crime, and it will only affect the, the people in the bottom rungs of society at this point. Mm -hmm. it, it just, you, you get a point there. Like, I do love it, because, like, it's very much like these commercials about the movie that show us, like, jingles for the stuff, and how, like, it's marketed to kids and adults, and there's stuff fashion shows, and there's the stuff <laughs> dieting crazes and stuff, and, like, between, like, those and this like drug deal in the alley and like the dark hard jason it's just really building out the stuff cinematic universe and I, <laughs> I can't wait to see the next entry when uh jason and mo are accepted into the uh the food uh the avengers stuff along the with stuff the dude vengers. from uh <laughs> the stuff vengers along with the dude from soy like green and um charlton <laughs> heston from planet of the apes for good measure just all these people who who were aware of what was going on but nobody listened to him the whole time <laughs> All right, so Barb, that was 1985's The Stuff. Uh, it, what did you think of this movie? Did Did you enjoy it? Do you think it's good horror? Do you, do you recommend it? Did it scare you? Um, I wouldn't say it scared me, but then again, I feel like I'm hard to scare nowadays. But um, it's it's a good fucking movie. Like this this movie is not just good on the level of oh you know oh it's schlocky and schlocky horror is you know kind of inherently funny like it's got a genuine funny bone and it oh, yeah. hits on some really really cool body horror like i know it just uh, it sounds like a movie about this white goo um killing people doesn't sound especially interesting <laughs> but like trust me they do cool effects with it it's not it's not a complete like wall-to-wall -wall effects dream like something like the thing which I do, I, find, I do find it amusing that both the thing and the stuff have a have similar kind of titles going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, we almost be, we, one can almost swear that like the stuff had to be like had to be the trauma parody of the thing, but yeah, like it's it's this isn't a bad movie, and it's campy in a way that's genuinely endearing. Like mm -hmm. it's campy, it's campy in a way that feels very intentional and not in spite of itself, which is why I, if you will want to quote this movie. That's why I feel so comfortable, like, placing this in the same camp as, like, a trauma film. Because, like, oh, I mean, a trauma film is essentially made to disgust and offend. But the way it does that is through the language of, like, bad movies. But through the lens of, like, it's bad, but 
we have the most fun with movies like this, and I think that's definitely where the stuff succeeds. Is as is it's not a horror comedy, but it's definitely a satire that like I think has its roots in like the fears of the time. It doesn't exactly become horror, but like you know, it gets there. Like like I said, there is a lot of body horror and the the vision of just like seeing like these like maquettes be turned teared apart by the by the stuff is it is generally upsetting if like. It is upsetting than shocking the first time you see it, but it ain't gonna give you any nightmares. Yeah, like it's it's not it's not effective horror, but I think I would still put this under the umbrella of being like pretty good horror, you know? Yeah, I, I think it's good. I think it's good horror. I think it is pretty fundamentally built on anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can definitely see how somebody how uh, Cohen was like even without reading his. Um, interviews and stuff i think you can watch this movie and you can tell that like he was genuinely bothered by a lot of advertising and corporate practices around food like you that anxiety is all through the movie it's not just a joke it is very genuine um fear of these things even if the movie itself is not necessarily a nail bite like but it's good i I think this is definitely it's definitely kind of comes off as like the um the comedy sister to a movie like They Live, which is pretty much about the same sort of thing about how pervasive uh, marketing is. But um, this one definitely has to do a lot more with kind of like the chemical dependence on uh, these dangerous substances as much as it is like the way it's sold to us. But definitely like so many of us and at least in American society build up this chemical dependence on uh, products and substances that most people will never know how it's made and where it's where it comes from. And that's not always inherently bad, but there is something very there is something that is very scary about like what people are willing to put into their bodies without knowing one hundred percent what it is. I mean, to go to go in another direction, um, this I think the same anxiety that drove this movie, um, it also can go in another direction, a significantly less helpful direction. That being um, like anti vaxxers and stuff. I think they they're dumb as shit and wrong but i but you can tell how they're coming from the same core fear the fear of other of not knowing and not understanding what we're putting in ourselves and it's scary that some people can take that fear um and like cohen and say hey this is wrong this is what we need to you know to be more skeptical about and then it's scary to see how other people go in a different direction where it is much more harmful where now they are being skeptical skeptical about basic things like vaccines vaccinate your kids please (laughs) i think i think we're gonna go ahead and uh close it out for the night but i think we had maybe there's a really fun discussion about the stuff and it, it really did remind like watch this movie again this morning just really reminded me like how much I was smitten with this film the first time I saw it. And this definitely won't be the last time I watch it either because this is still just a fun movie and it's a fun one to show to friends. And it's a fun one to surprise your friends with because, like, again, there's nothing objectionable in it, but it's just so weird and campy that, like, you will remember this movie for the rest of your life. There's not a lot of movies like this. Yeah, this is is definitely up there with The Room in terms of this is a movie that you could bring to a party – or you could stream um, concurrently with a bunch of friends and you know talk on Discord, and everybody would have a good time. This is it is gonna click. I I can almost guarantee. Watch this movie. 
Absolutely. And as I said, this was the stuff, and this was another episode of uh, Scary Podcast to Tell in the Dark. Um, thank you for listening to this, what is probably officially episode one. Uh, if you checked out our episode zero, uh, thanks for t- tuning in for that. Um, we know we had a lot of people writing questions for that episode. Uh, we definitely would love to hear some more questions from you guys. If you guys have any questions about us, mm-hmm. about horror, about the stuff, about movies like the stuff, about whatever, we'd about love to hear from white you. Goo. Let us know. Let us know your favorite goose to eat from belching holes in the ground. I know I've got mine. There's <laughs> that. There's that hole of butterscotch in my backyard. It's great. No one else knows about it, and no one else can have it. It is my butterscotch hole. You stay away from my butterscotch hole. <laughs> If you do have any questions for us, there's two great ways you can reach us. Um, you can either email us at scarydarkpod at gmail.com. Send your questions there and we'll try open up the old mailbag once in a while and answer some questions, get some heavy discussion there. Or you can, of course, always give us a follow on at scarydarkpod on Twitter. Um, that's where you'll see if we have a announcements to make we'll probably announce any upcoming movies we're watching get some feedback from you guys ask for questions let you know more information about how to reach us uh just follow us there for any more updates uh tell your friends follow us retweet share review all that good stuff um barb do you have anything else you want to tell people about or people can find you or anything that you're working on right now um if you want to follow my content um you can find me um at diesel brain art on twitter um, if you are under 18, fuck off. Um, and that's that's where you can mo- find me mostly, and that's where I have other links to other platforms, so that's a good hub. Um, but uh, I also make art on Patreon. You can find me on Patreon, uh, Dieselbrain on Patreon. And um, like I said, I mostly work in erotica, but I do work in like horror-adjacent erotica. I usually focus on like monsters and horror things quite a bit so if that sounds like it was up your alley give it a shot maybe and uh you can find me on twitter at sonic 9 jct you can find me there talking about cartoons uh my own comics and work and stuff um just talking about whatever games or tv shows or movies i'm watching horror or otherwise you can give me a follow there give me a shout out see whatever i'm up to i'm sure to always be rambling on about something whether i'm happy angry or just kind of sleepy and hungry i don't know i'm a man of a wide range of emotions all the emotions angry sleepy hungry all three of them and pleppy can't forget pleppy yeah no that's 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 the secret fourth one that's the dlc pack that's the DLC emotion. I bought it before it was listed from the <laughs> store. Anyway, once again, this has been Scary Podcast Tell in the Dark. I'm John Charles. And I'm Barbara Dieselbrand. And uh, remember, once in a while, we all have to eat some shaving cream. <laughs> Good night, guys. The stuff, the taste that makes you hungry for more. The stuff, taste that delivers. Enough is never enough.